0: Have you uh, ever experienced um, tribulation? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you ever experienced any trials? Oh, hey, we're going to... Miss Beverly has has something for the kids. Ever experienced tribulation or trials or challenges? Have you ever have you ever uh, had had anything uh, or anyone uh, persecute you, reject you, or treat you poorly? Uh, Jesus answers that question in this last, um, this last message from his um, upper room discourse, his conversation with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, on the, the last night that he was with them, when they shared the what we call the last Supper or the Lord's Supper, um, they shared this meal together, they shared, shared this time together, and Jesus began to teach them, and we've been looking at this for, for several weeks now, and we've taken some time off, well we took a little bit of time off last week to talk about how Jesus came into the world in the incarnation, that the Word became flesh, um, and then this week I want us to look at this last paragraph or two of John chapter 16, where Jesus talks about tribulation, where he talks about what is uh, coming for them and what he is going to do about it or what he has done about it. And it's an interesting, um, uh, I think it's an interesting passage. I tried to think this week about how this relates to um, our experience of Christmas and the, the experience of the birth of Christ um the experience of, of the holiday, um, for many people, and you may be one of them. Uh, sometimes the holidays, when they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be joy and they're supposed to be family and good times. For many people, the holidays are a very difficult time. It's a reminder that some loved ones aren't with them. Uh, it's a reminder that, um, that some things have gone wrong in their world or in their year, and now these holidays, these special times, aren't what they were supposed to be. They go through tribulation. Um, what would it be like for a family who experienced a divorce to go through Christmas together? And how you, how you handle, well, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we handle, you know, separate households now? And where do the kids go? And how do we, how do we, how do we enjoy the holidays together when this has happened? For some, it's a loved one has just passed on. We experienced that when one of our own died just a few weeks ago, and here we are going through the holidays. And so the memories of, of him are still lingering and we're wondering um, how can we have joy and peace through this? For our family um, there's illness, serious illness and we're, we're looking to God to say, well for maybe some answers. Why are we having these tribulations? Why are we going through this when this is supposed to be a time of joy a time of peace, a time of family and love, the message that Jesus has for us is to take heart. And it can feel awfully trite sometimes. (laughs) But the basis of us taking heart, the, the basis for us being encouraged in this way, lie not in ourselves. They lie not in our ability to understand these circumstances, to make sense of things. They lie not in our ability to turn lemons into lemonades. Or lemonade, sorry. Or unless you're going to make several pictures of it? <laughs> I guess that would be okay. It's not on us, but it's on Jesus. And he becomes the basis of it. So we are going to read... John 16 together. So if you have your devices or your Bibles, turn there with me. John 16, verse 25. You can also follow along with me um, on the screen as I read aloud. Here's the word of the Lord for us today. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray now that you will guide us and direct us. You will teach us what you would have us to know. Speak to our hearts. Use me as inadequate and... um, human and uh, sinful as I am that you'll speak through me and uh, give us the words uh, that you want us to hear I pray that God you will work in our hearts reveal to us some truth that we need to know um, from you reveal to us a course of action a a way of life a, a choice, a decision that we need to make this very week in order to obey you, to honor you and glorify you with our lives and Lord to increase our joy in you as well. Let me pray this all in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. First thing he does here is he uh, Jesus uh, reminds his disciples um, that um, he has spoken to them using these figures of speech. There were times in the um, In his ministry, which he would talk about parables. He would he taught the people or taught the the crowds as well as as the disciples in parables, and he taught them all the time in parables. And at one point he said to the disciples, he said, To the crowds I speak in parables, but to you I explain everything. And then he says here, though, (laughs) that he has told his disciples who at previous times, he had explained everything, he tells them that he's using figures of speech, which is a term essentially saying that he's telling them things that are a little bit obscure, uh, uh, that that they're gonna find hard to understand. And they did find it hard to understand. He's summarizing essentially all that he's taught, to, taught them um, in the Last Supper, discourse. So everything that we've read and studied together from John 13 up to this point, he's kind of summarizing it all and he's saying, I'm tell, I've told you some hard things, some things you don't understand. For example, if I just flip back here, I'll, I'll just give you a few of them. Um, he told them, uh, since I've washed your feet, you also ought to, ought to wash one another's feet. And that was a little bit uh, concerning for them. First of all, because they had their master washing their feet, which was something that only the lowliest of servants would do. And then he's telling them, "Now you ought to do that for each other." And they're going, they're kind of scratching their heads, "Why is he doing this? And how are we supposed to treat? How, how are we supposed to do this for each other? We have other people do that, right?" Then he says, "One of you will betray me." And they look around and they wonder, um, who who is it he's talking about? (laughs) Uh, We don't understand. Who's going to betray him? And then he gives Judas a morsel of bread and then tells him, what you are going to do, do quickly. And Judas receives it, takes that morsel of bread, a symbol that he was loved by Jesus, even though he was about to betray him. And then Judas departs. And everyone wonders, why did Judas just leave? Um, maybe he's going to go give a gift to the poor or, or maybe he's going to buy something that we need for the feast So they're a little bit uncertain about what he means there Then Jesus says to them uh, I, A little while I am with you, you will seek me And just as I said to the Jews So now I also say to you Where I am going, you cannot come And they wonder Well, hold on a second, Jesus Where are you going? Um, and why can't we come with you? We've been following you What are you doing? Then he says that in my Father's house are many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again that where I am, you may be also. And he tells them, you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas says, Lord, Lord, uh, we do not know the way to where you're going, or we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? They're confused. They misunderstand. They want, to, they want Jesus to show him, show them some additional sign. They don't understand what he means by being in the Father and the Father in him. They don't understand what he means when he says they're gonna, he's going to send another helper to them. They don't understand what he means when he says, um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. When he says, greater love is no one than this, that he lays down his life for a friend. They go, well, that sounds really great, but I don't understand what you're talking about. And Jesus says, I am your friend. And they're wondering, well, how is this going to... How are you going to lay down your life, Jesus? You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one who came into the world. You're the one sent by God. He said a lot of things to them, many things to them, that they didn't understand. But he tells them, and he assures them of this. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in these figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and you will ask and receive because the Father loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. He summarizes essentially uh, what he's been telling them by saying this. There's going to come a time when you're going to have answers to some of these particular questions. When you're going to understand what my purpose was. You're going to understand why I came. You're going to understand what I have done. And you will understand plainly about the Father. Notice, though, that he doesn't say, You will have all of your questions answered. You will understand the second coming. You will understand deep theological truths. You will understand why things happen. You will understand the decisions you will need to make about job choice or when to move or where to put your kids into school or what kinds of things to buy or where to invest your money. He doesn't say that. He says, You will understand who I am in relation to the Father. And you will know the Father. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Do you love Jesus? That's a legitimate question and I to ask right now. Do you love Jesus? Do you believe that He came from God? That's a significant phrase. The the phrase means more than just he was in one place and now he's here. There's a, there's a, a deep theological meaning to that. Because last week we looked at who Jesus was in the incarnation. The Word became flesh. John writes of him in John 1 that Jesus is the Word. And he starts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. And He came from God, meaning, I am divine. I am the Holy One. I am the one you worship. Have you believed in Jesus in that way? Not just, I love Jesus, He's a good person, He did good things, He taught good things. But do you believe that He is God in the flesh? Verse 28 says this. Jesus says this right here. John 16 verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. That is actually probably one of the best summaries of Jesus' mission in all of the Gospels. I mean, there are several like that, but this one is really, really telling. I came from the Father, meaning, I was in heaven with God the Father for eternity, because I am God. And I have come into the world. We talked about that in the Incarnation. He came into the world. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He who came into the world, put on flesh, became a human being, fully God, fully man. And then he says, now I am leaving the world. He's going to die. He is going to be crucified. He will rise again. And then he is going to ascend into heaven in which, and that's the last phrase when he says, and I am going to the Father. And that's what he means. After his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. And right now, Wherever he is, whatever dimension he is in, wherever heaven is physically located in the universe or outside of the universe, that's where Jesus is, with the Father. That summary is essential in your belief of Jesus. It's essential in loving him. You can't love him apart from belief in him. You can't believe in him apart from understanding those significant truths about him. So Jesus explains, summarizes his words to his disciples and and invites them to reflect on his mission in the world, where he came from and where he is going. What was their response to that? Because many of you may think the same way. Okay, I got that. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm like that a lot. But I'm a lot like the disciples when they said this in verses 29 and 30. Ah, now you are speaking plainly, not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. They assert that, okay, we understand what you're saying now, Jesus. This makes so much sense. Now we, now we know why you're telling us this. Have you ever been in that situation too? Where you've, you've, you've told God, Oh, I think I get it now. I think I understand why all, this, all of this is happening. I think I understand these truths that you have wanted me to, to understand and to put my faith in and believe. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? Jesus answered them in verse 31. Do you now believe? And I think the question, the implication in his question was, "Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you're not just telling me what you think I want to hear? Are you sure you're not just, um, uh, are you sure you're you're not just asserting truth statements, truth claims, but yet you haven't actually?" you haven't actually really come to terms with what this is going to mean for you in your life. It's one thing to say, this I believe. It's one thing to to recite the Apostles' Creed. It's one thing to have a set of doctrines that you say, this is what I believe about God. This is what I believe about the world. This is what I believe about true things. But it's another then to... To uh, to become, uh, what's, how do I want to put it? It's another thing to experience the crushing weight of the world. <laughs> and life. And to experience what life has to give you. And then you begin to realize, is what I believe really what I believe? Is what I say I believe? Is it, is it enough for me to stand on? Is it enough, enough for me to put my faith on? The, the disciples were in an inter- interesting state here. A little bit of confusion all throughout this, this talk with Jesus. They've been asking questions. They've been looking at him with some perplexity and wondering how things are going to work out and what he means and what he's going to do. And, and, well, what about us, Jesus? If you're going away, what do you, what's, that, what, what's that mean for us? I mean, uh, how are we going to get by without you? Have you thought about that, Jesus? Have you thought about my situation? And we've asked those same questions as well. Jesus wants them to have faith. Wants them to believe. He's told them to believe in Him this entire time. He has encouraged them uh, to, to take heart. He has said to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. He said that several times. And he said, he's told them that he wants them not to fall away. He told them that they're going to be persecuted. They're, he told them that they're going to go through difficult circumstances. He told them that they would be sorrowful. But he told them to ask. He told them that what he really wants for them is, is his peace to be in them. That what he wants for them is that their joy to be full He says to us, Do you believe? Verse 32, to his disciples he said, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The disciples were going to experience the loneliness of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, well, first he was arrested, beaten, tortured, and then put on the cross to die. And what happened to the disciples? They were scattered. He said the hour is coming. In other words, the time, the moment is is coming. And then he said, indeed, it has come. It's already come when you will be scattered. One of them has already scattered. Judas had already departed to, to betray Jesus. And the rest of the disciples and, those, and their family members and those who were gathered about when Jesus was arrested were going to hightail it to wherever they were going. Let's go, go back to our homes. And Jesus would be left alone to die on the cross by himself. Yet he says, I am not alone, but the Father is with me. The Father was with him. The Father was with him through his uh, experience of torture, uh, experience of being beaten. But the disciples scattered from him. The disciples departed from them. They felt the sting of persecution, and they left. So why did Jesus tell him this? Why did Jesus tell, tell Peter... Truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Why did he tell Peter that? And why did he tell the rest of them, you will all scatter when I'm arrested? You all go to your own home. You will all leave me alone. Why did he tell them that? Verse 33 says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. taught them everything that they would have peace. And the part of the everything that He taught them here in this these, these chapters that we've been looking at is that they will be scattered. That their faith will break down. That they will become discouraged. That they will have sorrow. That they will fall back. That there will come a time in the middle of the game in which they realize there's no way we're going to make that first down marker. We're going to have to punt. <laughs> and we're going to, have to, we're going to lose a little bit of ground here, but we may be able to gain it back. Jesus said these things to them so that they would have peace. Why? Because of the very next uh, couple of phrases. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. The world, as we've seen um, throughout this um, book, uh, this book of John, the Gospel of John, the world um, stands for, that word stands for a lot of different ideas. But especially here in his last message to his disciples, the world represents the moral rebellion in, uh, against God and His ways. It represents both uh, people and institutions and human institutions that are in rebellion against God. And he says, in the world which you live in, even though you're not part of the world, you are in the world but you're not of it, you're made from different stuff, or should say, you are remade from different stuff. Any man who is in Christ, any person who's in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So through faith in Christ, they have been become new. They have been taken out of the world, remade, reborn. But yet they're still in the world. They still live in the world, just as we all live in the world. And he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And that was the final word that Jesus spoke to his disciples on that night. I have overcome the world. If there's one thing that we can take heart in, it is that Jesus has overcome the world. That Jesus has conquered the world. That Jesus has power over the world, has authority over the world, so whatever evil is going on in the world, Jesus has power over it, Jesus has authority over it, and we can take heart. Whatever evil is perpetrated in the world against other believers, or against ourselves, or against the church, we can know that Jesus has authority over it that Jesus has overcome. This is a really difficult, very difficult circumstance or situation to, uh, I guess, uh, conceptualize. Really difficult for us to conceptualize. How is it that Jesus has overcome the world, and so we don't have to fear the world, but yet we're still going to have tribulation in the world? Why is it that we still go through hurt? Through Why is it that we still go through pain? Why is it that our loved ones are still suffering? If Jesus has overcome the world, all of those things are still happening. What's going on here? It's a deeper deeper theological question than what is answered just here in these verses. But the answer, in part, at least, Is that the effects of sin and the effects of death have no ultimate power over all who are in Christ? That's it, that's part of the answer. Jesus said, Hey, don't fear those who can kill the body. Don't fear those who are persecuting you. Don't fear them who can put you to death, arrest you, torture you, take your homes from you, take your money from you, take your jobs from you, take your life from you. Don't fear them. <laughs> Instead, put your fear in God, who controls your eternal destiny. We, we can lose the body, but our souls will be saved for eternity in heaven with Christ. I have overcome the world. The effects of sin and death no, do not have control, do not have power over all of us who are in Christ. So we can take heart in that. We, can also, we also realize, though, that another part of the situation is that in the world, not just the moral order uh, in rebellion against God, but also the cosmos itself, the earth the human uh, existence, the physical existence, our, our life here on earth, our life in the universe, things happen that we don't like. We have friends who live in Alabama still. We still have friends in Alabama, believe it or not. Um, uh, and they have went through a really interesting Christmas week. Uh, many of them. Floods. Uh, a couple of weather systems um, connected together and we got tornadoes going through parts of the state of Alabama in Tuscaloosa and in Birmingham and um, I heard on the news just yesterday that at least one church in Birmingham was destroyed because of a tornado and I'm thinking okay, in the world you will have tribulation that sounds like tribulation to me when the tornado comes down and destroys your home, destroys your place of worship, when floods there's a there's a there's a small city, a little little community uh, near where we used to live, um, and they experienced flooding all last week, and so. I'm sure plenty of property damage there, and a lot of people are displaced from their homes and are wondering when's this, when are the water is going to subside and when are we going to go on with life? In the world, you will have tribulation, Jesus said. Not just persecution, not just evil, but natural tribulation. The natural, the physical world is groaning in a sense under the weight, under the pressure of sin that is in the world, the curse that is on the ground. We still live in that. We still live in that time between where Jesus did the overcoming work of dying on the cross and the time that we were just just reading about earlier in Revelation 21 when he will remake a new heaven and new earth. And there won't be any more of those natural catastrophes. There won't be any more sickness and disease. There won't be any more cancer. There won't be any more premature deaths. God will remake it. But in the meantime, we're living in that that now and not yet period of time. It's like a It's it's not a perfect illustration, but it is one nonetheless. On uh, June 6, 1944, the uh, Allied armies, the Allied forces, sent the greatest number of ships and troops that the world has ever seen on one day stormed the beaches of Normandy, Normandy, France, and turned the tide of the war. And in that one action, it changed everything. Germany lost its, its control of France, and it was just a matter of time. But yet, between June 6, 1944, and the following... April 1945 when Germany surrendered. A lot of people died. There were a lot of casualties along the way. But the enemy was defeated right there in that one blow. It had to be rooted out. It had to there was still a period of time in which the enemy was still trying to fight back, still trying to take as many people with him. That's what's going on now spiritually. The enemy of souls continues to fight back. The enemy of souls is continuing to to fight to take as many people with him as possible. To defeat the plans of his enemy our Lord. To discourage the hearts of those who are true to Jesus. Those who do believe, who do love Jesus And the Father himself loves. And the enemy of souls will do anything he can possibly do to take away our peace, to take away our joy, to discourage us into ineffectiveness, to discourage us out of love, to discourage us so that we have no peace and no contentment and no comfort. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. He said, I will ask the Father, I will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans, he said, I will come to you. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He said, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I have said these things to you that when their hour, the hour of the world comes, the hour in which they come against you, the hour in which you experience tribulation, the hour in which you experience trials, that you may remember that I told these things to you. I said these things to you that your joy may be full. You will be sorrowful, he said, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Take heart, he said. I have overcome the world. What is it that is burdening you? What is it that you are discouraged by? What is it that you're finding a hard time uh, coming to terms with? What is it that is taking away your peace What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that causes your heart to race, your blood pressure to rise a little bit whenever you think of it? Jesus says, Take heart. You know what I think he means by that? Not buck up, not, Hey, things will get better. Don't worry. I really think he means look to me find my heart in you to take heart it was just a way of, a way of expressing to be encouraged but, but to be encouraged by what to be strengthened by what not our own efforts not our own not, not some psychological you know gymnastics trying to make, make sense of things He meant, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my strength, learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I think when he says to his disciples, take heart, he means, don't look away. Don't look down at the waves that you're, that you're going, that you're experiencing. The, don't look at look at the storm. Look at me. Look at my Look at my face. Look at look me in the eyes, and see that I am your strength. That I am your peace. That I am your joy. That I am the love that you're seeking and you're desiring. I have overcome the world. Look to me. Take heart.